The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. We're coming to you live from Salem, New Hampshire today, and we are super excited to talk to you about extremes in dog training. What are you smoking today there, love? Well, this is a bone shaker, mm. is what it's called, and it was a gift from a good friend of ours in Texas, mm-hmm. out in Austin area. A Christmas Stephen gift. Serpitsky. Yes, thank you for this. Thanks, Stefan. All right, before we get into extremes and dog training, first, we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day. I really cued that one good this time. Okay, so my quirky tip is um, Havoc Your Way. So this is on Instagram. Havoc is spelled H-A-V-O-C. Um, but Britt was actually on with Havoc, probably definitely our first year that we were podcasting. She's pretty big on Instagram. He's pretty big on Instagram, I should say. But she's doing all this merch and she grooms, she's been, uh, she's an amazing groomer. She grooms our one doodle and she has for years and years and years, but she just changed locations and she had all this cute merch and this little cup says good vibes only. And I got a Starbucks refresher to put in it to be more festive. So check out Havoc Your Way. They're on Instagram, Facebook. Really, really, really cute merch. Really like it. Exciting. I'm going to get one of those uh, Mm -hmm. good vibe only cups (laughs) for myself. Scott makes my, my London fog in it in the morning now. He makes me London fogs. All right, so let's talk about extremes in dog training, sweetie. So what, I know this was my... You, this was your topic, and yeah. I want to know, what was it that got you thinking, oh, we need um, to have a, a little podcast on extremes in dog training? Well, I just think recently, and probably since we've started the podcast, so um, we're going on three, four years now podcasting, the last decade, things have gotten more and more extreme with where people place themselves or where they fall within the dog training realm. And um, we follow this artist, Adam Ezra, and Adam always says this line, like, you know, I travel all over the country, and I meet all these people in the really red states and the really blue states, and it turns out that there's more things about us that are the same than different. Is that how he says it? Pretty much. Yeah, something like that. But he says, you know, outside of our varying differences and everything else, really, we come together more than we're, we act like we are apart. And part of that is because he's building in-person community, right? So he's at these different locations playing in person. But he also does this online gathering series too. So in that same vein, I'm starting to think, well, maybe all of these crazy extremes, maybe we're more in the middle than we actually realized originally. And if we're there and we're all kind of in the same camp, maybe we can play a little nicer together in the sandbox. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. And Really, if you we equate this to politics all the time in this country, and it is kind of true, but there's ACO, there's the Marjorie Taylor Greene or whatever, the lady that has the AK-47s behind her in her stuff. But like ACO is not representing the Democrats. Marjorie is not re- representing the Republicans. And we so often start to say like, oh, the Republicans are doing this, and oh, the Democrats are doing this, and the balance trainers are doing this, and the force-free trainers are doing this. And at some point... The less that we scrutinize what's going on around us and just hone in on what we're doing and what we're creating, I think the better for the industry. Because the industry's struggling a little, in my opinion. And I think, yeah, it's the internet with the, these keyboard warriors, as they're called, yeah. and people saying things, typing things they would never say face-to-face with people. I've been to many, many dog training seminars over the years, and I did a heck of a lot more of them in the early part of my career than the past few years. But 
I can remember getting to, like, I would go to all positive seminars. I'd go to e-collar seminars. I just wanted to learn. And I would see people there that didn't agree with what was going on. And they would discuss it civilly with whoever was teaching, saying, hey, I don't like that. Isn't there another way we could do this? I don't think the dog is benefiting from that. But there was discussion. There wasn't a lot of hate. There wasn't what you're seeing on the internet now. It's so easy to just type something and say, you guys suck and you should be whatever, you know? Yeah, the name-calling, the vitriol, the hate. Like, it's just getting to be too much. And recently, um, two pretty big names in the industry got together and did a podcast. And it was a force-free trainer and more of a balanced trainer. And it's raised some backlash. It's raised a lot of talk about all of this and everything else. And at the end of the day... We are trying to help dogs. That is at least where Scott and I stand when we sit here behind this counter and we talk to you guys when we're working with our in-person clients. Of course, we want to help people too, but our main mission is the dogs. We want to see those dogs feeling well in their headspace, settling well, not letting the anxiety control them, not letting their fear dictate you know, where they're going to spend their whole day, everything else. Scott and I see a lot of tough cases. And if we're all in it to help the dogs, the bickering online and all of this back and forth and all of this social media and screenshots and sending in through Messenger and stuff, it's a waste of freaking time. Like, honestly, I don't know how else to say that, but like, just be conscious of checking your social media practices. And especially if it's like, wow, dog training doesn't feel as fun as it used to be or whatever deactivate your Facebook page, just go start training and see how you feel. Because honestly, the online creates way more stress and way more pain than people realize, I think. Yeah. And I trained, I mean, thinking about extremes in the dog training world. Uh, One extreme, I would say, uh, going the non-compulsive direction, I won't say force-free, but just to try to categorize it. More positive. Yeah. I trained with a woman who decided to train her dogs without a leash on her dogs. And she has been doing this for at least 10 years, maybe more. And she's competed in AKC. She's competed in different events. And I think it's great. And But I trained with her on several occasions. And my dog will have an e-collar on. And she's fine with that. She chose for her dog's to not even have a leash on her dogs. And she remembered t- I remember asking her about it, and she told me that there was a specific time that she remembered where she said, and she had a girlfriend, and she said, I want to try this without even having a leash on the dog, which now gets into a lot of shaping and a lot of different things you got to do to try and make these things happen. But it was her journey with her dog. She did it for herself because she wanted to do it that way. She's not out now telling everybody and everybody else, you're all wrong. This is the only way to do it. She chose that path for her and her dog. And I respect any path that people are choosing. I don't want to see dogs harmed needlessly in a lot of discomfort for no reason, certainly. And um, there are people out there that, you know, are trying to make things happen faster than than they need to happen to prove a point. And the dog, I think, is didn't have to go through what it went through to get to the other side of that. And that's going in the opposite direction. Yeah. And that's from the compulsive standpoint. And that's true. And we totally feel that way. But also like everyone that's like, oh, when you take tools away, everything's great for the dogs. We meet a lot of dogs from the positive only camp stressed out of their minds. Like, I don't know how else to say that, but it's just the truth. So like there's fallout and there's, you know, pros and cons to everything, but let's mutually respect each other. So Scott's talking about someone that has completely different methodology than him. He's walking in with a shock collar, a remote control collar, an 
call it, whatever you want to call it, the really, really bad thing. And they're renting space and training together and sharing dog training, sharing the love and the passion of dog training. And to me, what's interesting, and I'm going to do a survey. I'm either going to do it before the end of this week or by the end of the month, but there's going to be a canine healing survey. I've already committed to it. I'm going to do a survey on extremes because really, if you think about it, like this is very force-free, this is somewhat force-free, this is kind of in the middle, this is very balanced, this is, you know, crazy compulsive, however you're going to word it or say it, I bet everybody falls a lot of different places when you come up with different specifics. And what concerns me most, I guess, about all of this is if there's a survey that you're looking at on your screen... How do you feel? Like, what is your standpoint about, you know, yeah, that is way too compulsive for what I consider. That is, you know, considered extremely force-free in my mind without going to the source that you rely upon, without going to the organization's webpage about, you know, what, what is our standpoint on this? What is your standpoint on it? How do you feel about it? And I'm not going to really try to brainwash you guys with what I feel like is extremes and everything else because I really want to get some real data on this. And I'm hoping that with shares and everything else, it'll be an anonymous sur- survey. I'll get some like, yeah, you know, 50% of people think, you know, banning tools is an extreme. Whatever those things are going to be, I'd really like to get some hard data. But when I was thinking about a driving here, to me, an extreme is going out of your way to shit on someone else. Like, it, like you scrolling through Facebook, you're like, oh, I don't like this, something else. You're, you actually stop and you go out of your way to put the other person down. Or you go out of your way to be disrespectful to someone, someone that could have a big name. I mean, you're just starting to just spew your hate right behind your keyboard and your swears and everything else. That, to me, I would consider an extreme. But I'm going to do this survey because I think it's important when we talk about these extremists and the extremes of both sides. Well, what is an extreme to you? What does an extreme mean this day and age? It's 2023. And I think the extremes have changed from, you know, when it was 2013, I think in the last 10 years, hopefully the extremes maybe are meeting more in the middle at, you know, than 2033. I'm not sure, but I just really want to be thoughtful about how we're approaching these things. And you're taking the answers from yourself. You're not relying on someone else to tell you how you feel about it. Well, I think, you know, I didn't have an idea of what I considered extreme or not extreme when I first got into dog training because I didn't know any better and I was just trying to learn. And I immediately got involved in a protection sport where it was um, some harsh training going on. It was about, you know, it was compulsive based in the sense that everyone had pinch collars and some people had e-collars. Everybody had toys, everybody, not everybody had food, but a lot of people had food. So they were using a lot of different methods, but I was just trying to learn how to do this. And when I started seeing things that didn't agree with me, Morally. uh, Morally or on an ethical level, um, I started seeking alternatives. And that's when you can go down the rabbit hole of, well, okay, I don't like this, but it doesn't mean you have to go completely to the other direction. And and I just started doing, you know, at one point I told Jess early on, I I, I bought, I was training dogs professionally, pet pet client dogs. I was using e-collars because I was trained on how to use them. I didn't like the results that my client, I didn't like what my clients were doing with e-collars. And I went out and bought like 30 front attach harnesses and decided I was going to start teaching dogs how to walk on a loose leash with a front attach harness because I thought it was more not politically correct. I didn't care about the politics. I just wanted something Scott that people would feel clients, good about. And that Scott they could thought do. the clients were being too hard on the dogs, yeah, just dogs, punishing them. Dogs no, were, no, no, off, off, off. Yeah, you didn't like that. They'd stop all the bad behaviors, but they weren't working on the creating behaviors. And I just thought that kind of sucked for the dogs. But then I started having a lot of fallout from 
my clients about this, you know, it's not solving the problem here. Yeah. And I would tell them it takes time, it's a process, and you got to do this, that, and the other thing. People didn't have the patience. And I, out of those 30 clients, there was one dog that actually worked well on a front attach with food, and it just didn't have a tremendous amount of drive, and it liked treats, and it walked really nicely on a leash on a front attach harness. But to me, that was like an extreme. I mean, now I think about front attach as more of a management tool. It's not, I don't think of it as a training tool. Yeah. But that's based on my experience, how I see people use it. And um, it can be, I think, I still would consider it a short-term management tool. Yeah. Because now they're showing a lot of data that, if a dog is on a front attached harness for three or four or five years, it can start messing with their shoulders yeah, and their front end and everything problems. else. Yeah, no, that's true. All right, that's a great example. Let's go to break super quick. And when we get back, we're going to talk more about extremes. Want to keep up with all the latest from the Quirky Dog Podcast like me and Murphy here? Then make sure you head on over to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Or if you prefer to listen to the madness, go on over to iTunes or Spotify and follow the Quirky Dog Podcast. And hey, while you're there, leave a rating and review and let them know what you think of the show. Till then, keep it quirky. Okay. All right. So how did the extremes in dog training come to be? So we discussed social media. I think that is 100% a situation. Like thinking back to my 30 years in dogs or whatever, back in the day, you would go to an event. You couldn't watch the event on live stream. You couldn't be communicating with people at the event 24-7 through Messenger and Facebook and comments and everything else. Are you burning the place down? What no, happened? I'm just making a mess. That's okay. all. <laughs> it's just like at home. He's got ash coming and on his pants, on the counter, everything else. I would say another thing that has changed is all of these organizations. And the same thing goes for sports too. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Like, yes, you know, UKI, CPE, AKC, USDA, everybody does agility, great. Frisbee became a lot of different organizations. We all have these different organizations. There's also these founding organizations of training, um, the APDT, IABC. There's a bunch of different ones that are there. There's a lot of money in these organizations. So not only is there not community, yes, it builds community and that's great. There's also membership fees. There's also money for certifications. You're giving a lot of money. So whenever there's money involved, there's going to be a little bit more weight to something, right? Like that's, oh, like we need to keep our people. We need to keep our people on our list. We need to do this. So then it becomes this little push-pull of like, well, are we giving the best information or are we just trying to clutch on to our members and our list and keep our revenue and everything else? So to me, the fact that there is so much money to be made in dogs in this day and age and Dog trainers can make very good money. Scott and I do not make millions, but some dog trainers do. You can make very good money in dog training, very good money in daycare. Some people make very good money in breeding. You can make very good money in a lot of different things in dogs these days. You can also make good money through these organizations. So when the money got involved and the social media got involved, that's to me when everything really heated up. What Do you do? You have any thoughts on that? Um, I suppose. I got involved with formal organizations early on because I thought it would help you help my credibility yeah. as a dog trainer and i quickly learned that i felt that it was uh kind of keeping my hands tied as far as again my ability to use different tools you know i got involved with the apdt early on and, and i really liked their uh their stance on guaranteeing dog training like i thought that made perfect sense they yeah. said listen you have a living being a creature here you have living different adults what i do with your dog and what you guys do, I can't guarantee what that dog is going to do after it leaves me and you guys are at home and the and three-year-old is jumping on their head. We still feel that way. We, you know, their guarantees are not something we have. 
but yet they had firm stances on electronics. Yeah. And I even, there were other organizations that I wanted to join, that I wanted to take courses in that said, if you're going to work with us in any capacity, you need to never use your e-collar. And my thought was, hey, I, I know what my e-collar can do. I don't want, I can't just throw that out getting in and then start learning a new methodology that it, to me, wasn't proven yet. And so I just So when do you think the extremes more start to come about though? Well, uh, they just took these, uh, to me, it's like a political stance where you say, I'm not, we are not going to have any compulsive tools, for example. Yeah. Like when the hard line. So once that hard line happens and then the thing that now I'm seeing with Again, not to get into the politics, but I'm seeing there's a lot of trainers that invo- that are involved in those organizations that do use the compulsive tools, but just don't get it on videotape. They don't advertise it. They don't talk about it. But if a tough dog comes in, they, they'll pull out a pinch collar and say, okay, well, this is how we're going to fix it, which to me, that's, I wouldn't do that. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to promise something and then do something else. I'd rather just say, I'd rather not be involved yeah, in what you're doing. I'll just do my own thing. And, um, you know, there's some dogs that, that I've had in, not far and few between, really. This is like on one hand, where I think that some other harsher methodologies would have worked for that dog. But for me personally and for Jess personally, we don't want to go down that road. We'd rather let them go somewhere else with their dog where I think that they maybe would have had more success if they were yeah, using... but that, that really diff- isn't even a situation that's, yeah, that's popping just, up that's not really... No, it's, really. <laughs> like I said, in one hand and over yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know when it happened, but I think it it was like this when I started 20 years ago. You think it's something I relatively new. I think it's new, gotten much worse. But I remember... I, I think it's gotten much worse in that we've gotten some international bans that have passed. Um, social media is rampant. There are a lot of people in the worldwide community of dogs and everything else. And that is something Scott's not on social media, which is fine. It's for the best for all of us. But like, I mean, there's just so much ways to access, you know, what does someone in Europe feel about this? What does someone in Florida feel about this? What does someone in California feel about this? What does my friend who was my breeder 20 years ago feel about this? Like, there's just so many more means now to get more information from people. If there was some big hot topic that came up back in the day, maybe you'd call two or three people that were dog friends and discuss it. Now you can literally get 50 people's opinions, either publicly or privately. You can do, you know, Facebook threads and people are commenting and we're really flushing things out pretty quickly. It's just quicker communication. But sometimes that's because some, you know, big figurehead or some well-respected person or a trainer or influencer or whatever you want to call them said something and then everyone's just jumping on that bandwagon. When someone says something, they actually have to be able to back it up. They have to be able to personally be able to do with their own dogs and with their client dogs what they say. They just can't speak about it. So to me, it's changed quite a bit, but I do agree that the hard lines created it and you know maybe the factors that I brought up. I think uh, over the years, the people that I have admired that have the most credentials, have won as far as competition goes. They're working on a national and international level consistently, are the least active on social media. They're not out there telling everybody else they're doing it wrong. They're busy training dogs. They're busy training their own dogs with whatever method they're using. They don't they don't have time for the noise. Yep. They're working on their goals with their dog. And I think it's in some ways it's less about the extremes and more about telling other people what they're doing wrong or what you don't like because it's none of our business. It's none of my business how someone is training their dog on the other side of the world that posted a video that everyone is deci- deciding they're going to 
you know, just beat this guy or girl to a pulp because they don't like what she's doing. You know yeah, what I mean? and there's only so many options, you guys. Like, the shelters are very full. We're, we're not going to just throw all these dogs into rescue. I guess we could euthanize all the dogs trained with balanced methods. But, like, there's only so many options for this stuff. Is there flat-out abuse happening online? Yes, for sure. Does it pop up on TikTok? Yes, for sure. There's stuff going on. However, the word abuse is a big word, and people throw it around just like, you know, a clicker. Like, oh, like the dog's clicker trained. No, like abuse is a big word. It has a lot of weight to it. You don't walk into, you know, some parent-teacher conference and start throwing around the word abuse. Abuse is a big, big term. So dogs like that, yes, of course, you should intervene if things are really bad. Otherwise, if someone's working with their dog with a pinch collar, a plastic pinch collar, a martingale collar from the neck, whatever else, whatever you don't like, at least that dog's getting worked. At least that dog has an owner that's putting in the time and working with them. So just really try to back off on the judgment, like Scott's saying, and trying to control everything and tell everyone how it's supposed to be. Show people how it's supposed to be. Show people the better way. You need to create the path. That is the point. And uh, you know, if someone's viewpoint changes over time, so often we have these crossover trainers that were balanced trainers, and then they decided on this date, Scott, Scott says it's like a sobriety date. On this date, they decided they're never going to use tools again. That's totally fine. If they decided that and they built their business on that and everything else, great. If that changes again, that is okay too. Like you can go back to saying like, I may introduce a pinch collar here and there. I may do this. Like I understand that integrity and authenticity and everything is important to people. But if you come and you build a community being a certain way, for instance, Mona Vad built her whole community um, being vegan. She's an influencer, a doctor, and she's Gary Vee's girlfriend, whatever. She came out the other day. She's like, hey, by the way, like I'm not vegan anymore. And I just feel like weird, like even sharing this, but I want you guys to know that if you followed me because of this, I'm changing my ways. If I have a kid or something, I might want protein. She changed and she admitted it to her audience. It is okay to change. And I want to touch on this point of all these mission statements and everything else. So I guess we don't really have a super direct mission statement of what we do. We want to help dogs and owners communicate more clearly, yada, 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 fine. If you have this, you know, paragraph mission statement or all these different sentences and everything else, you can tweak that. If that has been your mission statement from when you sat down and you, you know, had the founding meeting for your business, for your dog training business, your corporation, whatever it is, you can change that mission statement. It doesn't have to be the same mission you started with. And think about mission statements versus agendas. Because half of the time, I don't feel like organizations and groups and bodies of trainers and everything are so much following their mission statement. They seem like they have a freaking agenda. And that is like a whole other level of like, we're going for legislation. We're going for terminology. Like, this is how it has to be. This is how the world's going to change. Well, that is an agenda. That's not just having some mission to affect other people. So be very conscious of those little nuances. Yeah, and I think that capitalism kind of fleshes out what works and what doesn't. I mean, we've had a lot of clients that have come to us that have worked with other trainers for six months, 18 months, very limited success, huge commitment on the part of the dog owner. They've come worked with us and within just a few sessions, they're seeing significant results and they're like, holy crap. Scott has has literally done, I would say probably a dozen 147s since we've been podcasting where we have been in situations like this. People have worked with someone for at least a year, and in one hour for a 147, the dog probably didn't wear anything more than a Martingale um, rough wear. 
the people are like, this is the most help I've ever received. My dog's never looked this good. And I would say that's concerning to me <laughs> along those lines of the, you know, a business perspective. If you're losing a lot of clients to a, comp- a competitor who trains differently than you, rather than be bad mouthing that competitor, take a look at yourself and how you're training and what's going on. And maybe you're not taking on the right clients. Yeah. If you want to maintain your methodology, then there's certain clients that you may not want to take on. Just like I have, when I do the evaluation, I'm really trying to not only evaluate the dog, but get a feel for what the person is willing, capable of doing. How do you feel about this tool, that tool? And if they say, hey, hey, I don't want to get into any of that stuff. I respect that. I don't try and talk them into it. Yeah. I say, we're not, this isn't the right fit yeah, right or now. Or if they want to do... And I can even refer them to someone that does yeah. that. Or if they want to do a boot camp and they're not interested at all in ever creating the dog. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not, not our right No, it's not our client. Like we, we don't do that. That's not what we're doing. We're not going to take your dog and then get it crate trained and get it dialed in and then you won't even crate them overnight when the dog and goes And we're home. not going to say we're not and then do it. Yeah. And that's I'm glad... Yeah, because that's where a lot of daycares and everything get into trouble. They promise they don't use any compulsion any anything else there's a bark collar on a dog and a picture and woo blows up so i'm glad that you brought that up as far as maybe you're not finding the right client because this is a a small point that i do want to mention here is that if you are a sport trainer let's call it that if you are mainly focused on you know agility just comes to mind because it's just the most frequent facilities and everything else if you are an agility trainer you are not necessarily a pet dog trainer. And that does not mean that you're not a dog trainer. I am not taking anything away from anyone. I am not doing anything. Being on the streets with pet clients, with rescues coming from the South, with these doodles that are coming and being bred and being mixed with whatever else, with what is going on in current day 2023 is different than just having six agility classes of varying levels or nose work or tricks or even a CGC class of varying levels where people just come in and they leave. One, your clientele is different. Someone who is going to dedicate that amount of time weekly to training, they're already more invested in their dog than most pet dog clients. Two, you're not seeing what's going on in present day. You're not, you're not out there working in the field. The field is not easy right now. It is trickier than it was. I promise you, even if you did pet dog training 10, 15 years ago, it's different. So be very careful when you're commenting on all of these things online that you are actually working in the vein that you are commenting on because we are pet dog trainers. We get on this podcast and we mostly talk about pet dog stuff. We do meld, you know, kind of mesh with some sport dog stuff and everything else, but we train pet dogs. Scott has been doing this now for 20 freaking years. He is a pet dog trainer. I have been working with pet dogs exclusively for 12 years. This is what we do. So be very conscious of if you are finding the pet dog segment to be more stressful or more trying or kind of just ruining your day all the time, maybe get into another venue of dogs. There are plenty venues of dogs, but make sure you're in the right venue and you're not knocking a venue that you have no business speaking about because I see a lot of names popping up and I just want to ask, when is the last time that you walked a dog on a leash that you've never met before? Because it bothers me. Yeah. And you know, I will say, um, and I've said it before, when I started the pet dog training business, I wasn't a pet dog trainer. I was a dog sport trainer. I had been competing with several dogs in protection sports, and I wanted to get involved in pet dog training because I wanted to avail myself the afternoon to work with my own dog. So I could think, I'm going to work with these dogs, and then I'll work with my own dog. And I learned right away that, you know, you get a dog with no drive, doesn't want to take a treat, doesn't care about toys. It's a whole different animal. And I was very fortunate that gentlemen that I did dog sports with, Adrian Santano, was an excellent pet dog trainer. That was his foundation. He enjoyed 
dog sports, but it was the opposite for him. He was doing pet dogs, and then he got into dog sports. So he worked with me, and I learned you know, most of my foundational pet dog training basics through watching him, working with him. And I always, in all of, you know, I've had a few different businesses. I've always been excited to hire people better than me. <laughs> because when I hire someone better than me, I know the job is going to be okay. Go take care of that dog. Go take care of that roof for me. I had a roofing company. I have six guys on there that have way more experience than me with a good work ethic. They would prefer I never show up. <laughs> I stop, When I stop in to see them, it's just slowing the job down. They're like, yeah, everything's good. Goodbye. No, and but it was that great. Is, that is a good point you bring up about Adrian, that you had that tutelage and everything very early and on. And a lot of very difficult dogs Yes, well, that, that's the point I wanted to make is that and I'm not throwing Malamont owners under the bus. I understand that a lot of you out there in protection right now are killing it and everything else. Malinois but, owners are very special people. Well, not that, but you guys really have it pretty freaking easy. And Scott always said this when he got into pet dog training. Like, it's very easy to work with a dog with a ton of drive that always wants to work, will go food, toys, like they love the environment, plenty of things to reward them with. That's not the challenge. The challenge is to take, you know, these companion bred dogs, these whatever, I don't know, whatever you want to say the challenge is, the challenge is the pet dogs. So, and you've always made that point and it's true. You really learned about dog training once you became a pet dog trainer. Yeah. And when I got involved in detection work and was especially the, I was doing uh, recreational detection, which was fun and challenging, but it was recreational. So if the dog didn't work well, it wasn't the end of the world. Yeah. But when I got involved with bed bugs and um, more professional uh, application, <clears throat> I was finding that there were some people that were literally starving dogs. And the only time they ate was when they found bed bugs. And, you know, my feeling there is that that's not the right dog for the job. If the dog is only Or the, the only right way life to, for the dog. Yeah, I mean, the dog could never ha eat <laughs> yeah. a meal. If, yeah. Like if they weren't working, but then they had to go put searches out so that their yeah. dog could actually eat. If you want to go on vacation, now you got to find someone that's going to be putting hides out for your dog so they yeah. can eat a meal. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. So that's kind of extreme too there, you know. But it's another, it's another example of extreme type training. Yep. You only The only time this dog eats is when it's hunting. And there's a lot of dogs out there that don't need to live that kind of lifestyle that are happy to work every day. Yeah. No, it's true. You and know? and a lot of the positive camp gets beat up about that. And I'm not saying everybody's out there starving dogs, but that's part of it. I would say a fifth of the dogs we get in won't eat treats at least the first couple days. That doesn't stop the training. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. If the dog doesn't eat dinner its first night with us, I'm not calling their vet, getting them on appetite stimulants. Like, that's just not how we're doing dogs these days, or at least how Scott and I are doing dogs. And I, I don't mean to overstep, but Scott and I are doing dogs successfully. Like, you can do dogs however you want to do dogs, but we have happy clients. We have a long-standing business in New England. Scott had a long-standing business in California. We are helping. So please, whatever you're doing, just make sure you're helping your own dogs, your client dogs, your clients. And if you're not, that's okay. Like, you, there's other ways to segue, other venues of dogs, other career paths, everything else. Don't shit on those who are. Please stop shitting on those who are helping yeah. because we are out there fighting the good fight, trying to help. Yeah, no, and I'm certainly not well-rounded as far as a dog trainer goes with regard to all these different dog sports. I am not an agility trainer. I can take my dog and teach him how to do tunnels and how to do jumps and guide him through yeah. an agility course. 
but I'm not a high prof- yeah, yeah. I'm not going to be helping people that want to be competitive. Yeah. I can help people if they want to just go have fun with their dog. But we you know? see that less. There, it's, it's way fewer, the comparison, and I'm not trying to throw the agility people under the bus, but the balanced trainers, if you will, aren't going on the agility thread saying, oh, you should have trained that turn off the dog walk tighter doing this method. Like, it seems like it's more the opposite, that the people that maybe aren't in the vein are coming and attacking the balanced people. Regardless, stop attacking. Ride the middle of the road. Extremes in anything can be dangerous. And I was thinking about this. Scott and I do the extreme cold. Yes, it can be dangerous. We train for the cold. We know that it can get very cold in the winter, hypothermia. We have to be conscious of these things, all of this. Extremes are okay if you can control them. Extreme viewpoints, I think, in any way, shape, or form are not good. So we're talking about extreme conditions. We can control getting in the ice, everything else. I cannot think of one time an extreme viewpoint has helped us in history. So just think of that as we head into the next decade of dogs. And I hope when we're talking in 2033, we're in better shape than we are now because we need to be nicer to each other, people. Please, let's be kinder. Kind, kind, kind. Yeah, and I think that you know, using the ice water as an example of an extreme behavior... It is an extreme behavior. Getting into, you know, 34 degree water is extreme. And most people, 99 people out of 100, have no interest in even entertaining that. What I find interesting, and I don't think it's, I think it's great. I think there's a lot of benefits for me and Jess and and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people around the world. (laughs) We're not the only two people doing this. (laughs) But the interesting thing is when Jess posts a video of her getting into some ice water that she didn't want to, it's at my insistence. I'm like, yeah, show them you getting in the water. She gets all of these people, and me too, I've done it once on my page. Why? People just post why. Like, no, never. They're like coming after you. It's ridiculous. And the funny thing is that if you really cared, a five, a two-minute Google search would give you hundreds of reasons why people are doing it, videos all over the world if you cared about why. But rather than just, you don't like it, so now I'm going to almost attack it by saying, I, never. No, there's no good, there's no real, yeah. no real science yeah. to prove anything there is going to yeah. help anybody. That's just being argumentative, and why? And that is a good Why point. are we being argumentative? I'm glad, I'm glad that you brought that up, and that is a good way to close. If you're responding like that online, or you're having like a pretty like strong visceral response to something online, that's triggering you. Why is that triggering you? And that's okay that that's triggering you. Shit happens online sometimes that triggers me, and Scott's like, just you're triggers gonna need, me every day. You're going to need to come off the ceiling. <laughs> I don't know if it's that or the reverse, but really start to lean into those triggers, especially with your social media practices, and start to unpack why. And again, you guys, I can't say it enough. If you spend a lot of time on your freaking phones, it's still early 2023. Check your practices. I think Marie Forleo is releasing Time Genius right now. I have not taken it. It is a 10-hour course. It is still expensive for a 10-hour course, but it's literally changing the world. And she put this meme up the other day. When you realize that cutting your screen time to three hours a day gives you the equivalent of 75 days of your life back every year, that's a little concerning. So if you're burnt out on dogs, you spend a lot of time online, get offline, lean into the in-person stuff, and just be nice. Please be a kind person. Yeah, be kind, and uh, and I do agree with what you're saying. If something is triggering you, it's an opportunity to learn some, about yourself. Yeah, why? Why is? It, I mean, because really, I think the mature uh, way of responding, if it's a friend of yours online that's jumping into ice water, would be say, "I'm glad you're getting some benefit." For me, I don't think I could do it, but if it works for you, 
then go for it. Enjoy. <laughs> Let's Enjoy. just support. Let's just support each other. I feel like maybe it's this glass with the good vibes and the flower. I feel like a hippie, a flower child. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next week. It's already the last Wednesday of January. We're flying through 2023. Um, think about what we talked about. Extremism and viewpoints is never good. In the meantime, keep it quirky. quirky. <laughs> The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.